Well, I'm thrilled to uh, introduce you to our speaker this morning. Uh, Nathan and Carrie Zabodi are missionaries with the Lutheran Brethren International Mission, part of the network of churches that we have. And they were here this morning in our first service, and they, uh, Nathan, uh, Nathaniel, had a powerful presentation in our community life hour. If you missed the last hour that was down in the gym, we will be having a link for a week that uh, we, we're going to uh, put that on our all church emails so you can watch for that. It was uh, a powerful presentation as he filled in some of the gaps. But Nathaniel, we want to welcome you, Carrie, and the kids. Thanks for being with us. Uh, after this service, uh, let us do the cooking. We've got a wonderful lunch that's going to be down at the other end of the building in the gym. So if your stomach's rumbling a little bit, we got you covered. And that's where we're going to go. So Nathaniel, come and bring God's word to us. Let's give him a round of applause, shall we? Thank you. Good morning. What a pleasure to be here with you all. Uh, your church has been so engaged in our work in Chad, it's kind of unbelievable. We've, as we just heard from Dory, there's an entire VBS program that revolved around uh, what the church is doing in Chad and involves us a little bit. And just interacting with the people and your missions committee and uh, perhaps some of you don't know, but your church has actually adopted a whole tribe in Chad, and that what's involved in that adoption is committing to bringing them God's word. And so there are missionaries in that, that tribe, the Full Bay tribe, that you help to send. That's the Narvison family, and who are partners with us in ministry, just 60 kilometers away. I don't know what the miles are. I haven't converted it yet. So you're an encouragement to us, even when we're in Chad. And so it's a pleasure to be here and see you face to face for a few short moments. We're in the United States for one year. We return to the U.S. in May. We will be going back to Chad uh, next June. But it's been, this year has been full of uh, lovely things like staying at our home uh, in Michigan, which is the home of my in-laws, Carrie's parents. They are apple and cherry farmers, so that's a drag. <laughs> and traveling to various churches in the Lutheran Brethren. And it's just been a pleasure to meet you all and to see what the Lord is doing in your communities. This morning... We get to look at God's word together. Before we do that, I just have a question for us to consider together. The question is, what kind of a world do you want to live in? Maybe you hadn't thought about it, but this is Sunday morning and we got time. What kind of world do you want to live in? We live in a small village well, mid-sized village, about 5,000 people, in the Begirmi tribe of Chad. And the people of our village wanted to live in a world where they could drink clean water. <laughs> Reasonable, right? So uh, our church has a project called Living Waters, where we install wells in villages that don't have access to clean water. And that was our introduction to those people. That, that project opened doors for us to meet them. They wanted to live in a world where they were no longer isolated. So they invited myself, my wife, and our children to live right in their village and invest in their community. That's where we live. They wanted to live in a world where their children could be educated and, and succeed in life and develop their own village. And so after years of prayer and consideration, we've started an elementary school with your help. And we're uh, partnering with Chadians to educate the children of that village. But what kind of a world do you want to live in? 
Whether we realize it or not, our choices, our words, our actions on a daily basis are like little prophecies we're putting out there about the kind of world we want to live in. But today we get to read a great prophecy about the kind of world that God wants to live in with us. Yeah, and in spite of everything we see in the world around us, God doesn't have a plan B. He's all in. And this morning we get to see his vision for the sort of world he wants to live in with you and me. It's in Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Here's what God says through the prophet Isaiah. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of, of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. This is God's vision for the sort of place he wants to live in. And it is nothing less than perfect and utter peace. Does that sound like a fantasy? Utterly unattainable? Well, I'd love for you to visit Malum's place. Malam is a friend of ours in Chad, a pastor and missionary. But if you visit Malam's house, you'll notice that he's a farmer. And he loves to farm. He's got every animal he can get his hands on at his house. Ducks, chickens, goats, sheep, cattle, you name it. Malam raises it. But what's interesting is that when you arrive at his house, the first thing you'll notice are his ferocious guard dogs. Now these dogs are descendants from the dogs bred by the pharaohs to hunt lions. They're hunters. And they're mean, and they make noise 24 hours a day. Today they don't hunt lions. They mostly hunt just monkeys, I suppose. They'll, they'll chase monkeys down the bush, and the, and the dogs might kill a few of the adults, and the, and the, and the babies hide in the grass, and so the, the hunters can take the babies, and then they sell them as pets. Interestingly, Malum has a monkey, and it's best friends with the dogs. He has cats, and we know in America that if you raise a cat and a dog together, they can be best friends. Well, you'll see his ferocious guard dogs, his <laughs> lion-hunting dogs, snuggling up at night with the cats and the monkey, wrestling together and playing in their spare time. It's fantastic. But perhaps the most impressive part about Malum's yard, where all these things just sort of live together throughout the day, is when the cattle come home. Because Malum owns two yoke of oxen, four beasts 
of brawn. Impressive creatures with like, some of them had like a six foot rack on them. And towards evening, if you're relaxing at Malum's place, sipping on his wife's sweet tea, you'll notice these, these huge beasts just come lumbering through the yard on the way to their stall. And no one hardly pays them any mind. But if you notice, behind them saunters a small six-year-old pot-bellied boy in his undies chasing the bulls with a twig in his hand. He went out to the pasture and rounded these guys up, and he's putting these bad boys to bed. A little child shall lead them, right? What we read in our passage. One time, a, a shepherd from the bush who's unused to village life, he's sitting in Malam's place, and he's watching stuff happen. And he goes, Malam, there are things in your yard that shouldn't live together. <laughs> and Malam takes it as a, as a sign of God's favor on him, that there is such peace in his home. But the peace that God has in mind for you and me in this world is more real than Malum's front yard. And he's going to bring it about. He's going to make it happen through one special person referred to here in the first verse as a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch that comes from his, his roots to bear fruit. Well, this, this, this requires some explanation. Jesse, who is the stump here, is the father of the ancient King David. David was like the model king. He's described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. He wrote most of our psalms that we still sing and read to this day. He taught the people the knowledge of God. He taught it to his son. He taught his son to build a temple where God dwelled with his people, and God gave him victory over all of his enemies. In short, there was peace in Israel among God's people as long as David was king. And there was peace during his son's time. But after David and his son died, the people began to abandon the knowledge of the Lord. They began to oppress and abuse each other. And eventually they succumbed to violent tribes and empires who came and conquered them, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Isaiah the prophet that we've read this morning writes during this time as he sees the Assyrian empire conquering the Israelite people and he foresees the Babylonian empire who will utterly destroy the dynasty of David. Like a, a great family tree begun at Jesse, it's going to be chopped down. Which is unthinkable to God's people at the time. But where you and I see a felled tree, God sees a living stump. And from that stump comes a shoot. Not a plan B. Not some strike of lightning out of heaven to fix everything. But a human being. A man with your and my DNA. Rooted in the very earth that we walked on to come into this building. He will shoot from the stump of Jesse, his real family tree. And he will bring about this peace on earth. He's described as someone on whom the spirit of the Lord shall rest. That's what makes him special. Now God's spirit came upon the prophets in the Old Testament so that they could prophesy. Or the judges, like when Samson killed a bunch of guys with a donkey's jawbone. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and they did amazing things. But on this man, this righteous shoot of Jesse, the spirit of the Lord shall rest. 
upon him. Like he belongs there or something. And because the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him, he will cause the earth to be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Like the waters cover the seas. It'll be greater than in the days of King David. Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, rests, belongs, lives, dwells, thrives with this man. So when John the Baptist came several hundred years later, and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and everyone notices that this guy's a prophet. And he says, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The people knew the righteous branch of Jesse was near. They got excited. Jesus came to the Jordan River, and when John the Baptist baptized him, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and remained on him like he belonged there. And Scripture says that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. God's righteous king has to know how to do battle with the enemy. He returned from that 40 days victorious, and it says he returned from the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit, and he went straight to a synagogue where people had gathered together to listen to God's word, just like we've gathered this morning. And because he was a respected man, they gave him the scroll of Isaiah to read to them, the same book we're reading today. He opened it to chapter 61. This is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sat down and said, today, this prophecy is fulfilled. He claimed it. The man on whom God's spirit rests was finally here. If this were a Marvel movie, he'd be called Spirit Man or something like that. I don't know. You come up with something. But he didn't go around calling himself that. He had a special title for himself. Jesus walked around this earth, engaging in his ministry, referring to himself as the Son of Man. Son of Man. That's Aramaic expression. It just means the human. The Son of Man is a human. He's a dude. And he went around in his ministry, filled with the Spirit, doing Spirit stuff, calling himself the human. Because the Spirit isn't foreign to our humanity. It's proper to our humanity. The Spirit of God is not foreign to this creation. He belongs here. Don't you remember in Genesis when, when the earth was formless and void and God's getting ready to make it the wonderful place that his people will live in? The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters right before God says, let there be light. He belongs here. Was it not the Holy Spirit who pushed the breath of God into Adam's nostrils? And he became a living being. Jesus reveals to us that we are mere shells of our humanity without the Holy Spirit. Here was finally the man, the human, who was finally and completely human the way God created us to be. Precisely because the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so he engaged in his ministry discerning the human heart. He's described here as the Spirit of the Lord 
uh, is upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Aren't those human attributes? But this is the spirit of God. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit makes him perfectly human. And so he discerned the heart of his neighbor. The scripture says that he knew what was in the heart of man. Remember the Samaritan woman? She runs away from the well saying, hey, come meet the guy who told me everything I've ever done. And when he saw people covering a hillside waiting to listen to his teachings, he looked at them with the spirit of discernment and he said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the sort of world that they wanted to live in. And so he became their shepherd. He knows your heart. He discerns your cry. Before we went to Chad, there was another missionary who worked in the same tribe for about 12 years. He had translated several portions of Scripture in these little booklets. And so when I was in language learning, we were in a, a village, a Bigirmi village, and uh, I would attend various social events. And when I went to a social event, I would bring the booklets that he had translated with me as part of my language learning. So what is a social event? Well, the, the village life revolves around weddings, funerals, circumcision parties, and birth parties. And they all look the same. It's a bunch of guys sitting in the shade waiting for the women to bring them the food. And so I would go to these gatherings, of course, because I like food. No, I was there for the people, and it's a great place to talk to people. And I would bring these, these scripture booklets with me. And I would just set one down beside me. We'd be chatting. And eventually someone would ask me, you know, hey, what you, what you bring? Why don't you read it to us? They're an illiterate people. And so it's kind of a novelty to have a book in their own language that, that I can read to them. So I'll pick up this, this scripture book and read it to them. One day I, I brought with me the Sermon on the Mount. And so when they asked me to read it, I began to read. And this is what the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 says. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is discerning the heart of the poor and the suffering and those who are burdened, and he is speaking directly to their hearts. And I continued to read as Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 continues to speak of God's love for us, the love that we can have for God, the love of God that we can have for one another. And I, I set the booklet down to take a breather, probably in the middle of chapter 6 or something. And a young 15-year-old boy there, never heard this in his life, he just kind of looks at me and says, the words of Jesus wash our hearts. Jesus is still speaking directly to our human heart all the time. And he is busy creating the world 
that the heart of God wants to live in with us. What did Jesus do with that crowd on the hillside? He gave them food, the feeding of the 5,000. He healed them of their real physical diseases. He cast out their real demons. And he delivered to them good news, good news to the poor, as he read in Isaiah in that synagogue. Here's the way his work is described in Isaiah 11 this morning. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Justice for the poor and equity for the meek is what the spirit man, the human, is all about. Equity for the meek is is kind of a fancy word. It just means leveling out the difficulties of life. Jesus went to the cross to conquer sin, death, and the devil. And he spent his life rescuing people who labored under the burden of sin. The poor and the oppressed are carrying an oversized share of the burden of sin in this world. And God cares about that. It's what the human is preoccupied with during his earthly life. Jesus died to conquer these things. And he rose again to give you his eternal life. And then he did something really incredible. I never get over it. He gathered his disciples and he breathed on them. He, the spirit man breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You, disciples of Jesus Christ, who have been baptized into him, are now and finally fully human. The Spirit of the Lord rests upon you. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and has transferred you to the glorious kingdom of his beloved Son in whom you have redemption and in whom you are commissioned to be about what the righteous branch of Jesse is about. Justice for the poor. And rescue for the meek. When I think of suffering people, the first thing that comes to mind are the war refugees that we know in Chad. So there's a particular tribe. They're called the Mbororo, a subtribe of the Fulbe, which your congregation has adopted. And they're cattle herders. They have been for millennia. They've got a special red breed of cattle, longhorn red, red cattle. And they, they had, they're nomads, but a large portion of them had moved down to Central African Republic for greener pastures when war broke out. And this war took on religious overtones, Christian, Muslim, other issues involved, but it took that flavor. And so bands of Christian militia would find these Muslim cattle herders in the bush and would just spray them with automatic rifle fire. They lost all their cattle and half their family members. And, of, and 32 of these families who fled Central African Republic settled right next to our house in Budamasa. They are the poorest of the poor. They've got absolutely nothing. Some of the guys in the, in the refugee camp can still show you bullets under their skin. So our church did what we could. We have a refugee relief program where we buy grain for them 
It's not enough. They're learning to be farmers, but it's enough to help them survive. We've installed wells in their refugee camps so that they have clean water. And of course, we befriend them. We have relationships with them. They're some of our neighbors now. Uh, but I, I started a Bible story project since most of the people in Chad in the Muslim regions are illiterate. And the Bible story project, uh, we gather people from four different local tribes, including the Begirmi and the Fulbe, and we teach them Bible stories in a common language, which is Chadian Arabic. Uh, and they learn these languages. They're hired <laughs> to be experts in their own language. They learn the language in the common Chadian Arabic, and then they translate those stories into their tribal language. We record those stories, and, they, and then they can be passed around on cell phones. And they, they hear the stories that you and I take for granted from Sunday school they've never heard before, and they're passing around on their cell phones. So I recruited one of the women from this refugee camp uh, in this project. She was really intelligent and outgoing, and she had several small kids she needed to support. And so I hired her to be part of the project. This has been going on for about two years now. Well, we're here in the U.S. now. The project is going on over there. And I received word uh, last month that this woman, they'd, they'd finally gotten through the Old Testament stories, and they're in the life of Jesus, and they were studying Jesus' death and his resurrection. And as they learn these stories, and she's sort of assimilating these Bible stories for the first time, she stood up in front of all her Muslim colleagues and announced that she was going to follow Jesus. Incidentally, the first believer from our eight years of ministry there. Because of justice for the poor and rescuing the oppressed. Some of you have been a part of that. Thank you. The knowledge of the Lord is beginning to fill the earth in Budamasa. But what kind of world do you want to live in? You don't live in Chad, do you? Who are the poor of Eau Claire? Who are the oppressed? Who are the suffering? Do you know what your Lord, the righteous branch of Jesse, is all about? He's about rescuing them. It's part of the gospel we have received in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, for one, have been encouraged, just in the three days I've been here, I've been interacting with several of you, to hear of how many of you have taken up the call of our righteous king to reach out to people in this community. I encourage you in that because as we're trying to feel our way and understand what it means to minister to the poor people of the Begirmi tribe, and you are engaged in the same thing here in Eau Claire, then we have a partnership in the gospel. May the Lord strengthen and equip you for this work as he has promised to do. In the name of Jesus, amen.